pages, combos. We gon' show you how the world goes. Ages, combos. We gon' show you how the world goes. Ages, combos. We gon' show you how the world goes. Take a look at the world we living in. It's falling apart. Wanna put the glass muscle and guns, but don't show hard. Kinda spark a conversation. Let that be a lesson. everybody welcome back to ag's convos we are back on the microphone this is episode number 73 i am in the studio this is me ag there is no mr kenny smith today i uh i'll tell you about that in a minute and i am not in the gb entertainment studios i'm not in the pcb studios i am in the lava room studios so i want to First, welcome myself to this building. We're going to do a, a slight uh, announcement here today. A little bit of an interview. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, a, a new thing. It's, it's something that I hadn't done just yet, but I'm in one fantastic facility, and I, I'm excited about this conversation. So, Mr. Kenny Smith is in Vegas, kicking it with his baby. It's uh, her birthday week, so shout out to Tia. Happy birthday to you. But I have a special announcement today, and... Uh, his absence will give us a little time to chit-chat. So a lot of you guys know that I've been kind of teasing some modifications over at the studio, some things that were coming. I said it was official, but I didn't want to do anything to announce it until the right people are in place. But the right people are in place today. So I'd like to introduce everybody to Mr. Mike Brown of the Lava Room Recording Studios. Hello, Mike. Hello. How you doing? Not bad at all, man. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I'm excited. Yeah, so am I. I, uh, I appreciate the hospitality here. You know, we had a interesting scenario. Ken called me and said, hey, I'm in Vegas. I won't be able to record. I'm like, ah, I think we might have a backup plan now. <laughs> uh, we got new partners now. So, yes, everybody, if you didn't catch on, if you hadn't heard by now, uh, GB Entertainment's facilities and the Grice Court building will be the new home of the Lava Room Studios. So uh, I wanted to introduce all of my listeners to Mike. He's the man behind the mission that is the Lava Room Recording Studios. They are going to be the uh, exclusive audio service provider for GB Entertainment, and they just got a new home. So it's 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 a crazy feeling. I'm, I'm still kind of soaking it in. Uh, a lot of the modifications over at the building was to try to make that place feel like this place, which is still going to be a bit of a challenge. But, uh, Mike, I uh, again, I, I welcome you to my building as you welcome me into yours on the way out. I wanted to uh, give you a minute to say hi, introduce yourself, name, who you are, what you want them to know, and we'll get into this uh, discussion a little bit. Awesome. Yeah, we're real excited to um, be moving over there. This will be our third... Yeah, third location in the last, I think this year we're celebrating 19 years. Wow. Yeah, so we've been doing it for a while, but we were, I'm sorry, this will be our fourth location. 
Okay. Originally, we were on the west side in the West 80th building. I don't know if you know the west side very well. Sure. The old American Greetings building. Yeah. That was our first location. Then we went downtown to the space behind the Cleveland Agora, and we were down there for 10 years. Oh, that was, the, that was home then for yeah, a while. Yeah, okay. that was a real long time. Wow. The last, the last session we did at the first studio, we were there for five years. Okay. So, no, I'm sorry, three years. The last studio, I mean, the last session we did there was one of our biggest sessions. We mm. did some overdubs for a band called Paramore which was really big rock band. Okay. And then that was, that kind of put the nail in the coffin over at the first studio, and then we went on to Chapter 2 over at the Agora, and we were there for uh, 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then we came out to Beechwood, and we're currently in the old Beechwood Studios location. Okay. And we'll be moving from here within the next two weeks, and then we're going to be officially in independence and ready to kick ass. Man, who you telling I'm, uh, you know, I I'm, <clears throat> I get more excited when I hear you talk about it than when I hear me talk about it. Because when I when I talk about it, it's still work. It's like okay. you know what? I, I'll be honest. Yesterday was the first day I smiled about and got excited about the move. Did you? Not because of what we're doing, but because all the pieces are finally in place to yeah. move forward. And getting all the stuff ready has been nothing but total chaos. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure you understand that. Well, and you know you. When you take into consideration, I started this process nine months before I even met you. Sure. You know, it was a long, it was a long road to just meeting you. You know what I mean? And that road was very tough. It was very lonely in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And, you know, it, it, it had its moments of, you know, no line of sight, if you oh, will. Oh, sure. This whole story, I don't know how you feel about it, but this whole story is just ironic. Just yeah. unbelievable how all the just elements fell in place with, uh, I don't want to say accidentally because I don't think anything is accidental. I Incidentally, think, yeah. Yeah, it's just I wasn't, I had no intentions on moving from here two months ago, three months ago. I mean, I was just planning on re-signing a lease and figuring out the next 10 years away. Right. So let's tell that story to some extent. We don't have to tell the whole story. Sure. Most of my listeners know my story. They know who I am, how I got to the point of ending up in that building. Um, They may not be 100% clear on what my intentions were when I moved in. Some are, but I feel like I get new listeners every week. So I'll retell part of that story. You know, I'm a Cleveland guy. This is home for me, but I am very well-traveled. I've seen a lot. I've done a lot. And I've picked up, like, business elements everywhere I went. I've picked up so many things that I thought would be of value to people that I knew back here. Obviously, everything isn't of value to everybody, but certain things like, man, if such and such knew how this worked or if I could make this available to that person, they would be golden. I would be that much better off. So I get back home and, you know, I start, long story, through my career path. I leave my employer. I start this independent journey towards trying to help businesses grow and trying to help create business opportunities for people who didn't necessarily have the income, intellect, or resources. So I'm like, hey, I got these things. Let's make it work. And, you know, one of the things that came up was, Ken, with the idea of the studio. Um, We kind of found ourselves hunting down a building, and this massive facility in Independence just kept coming to my attention. And I knew there was no way we were going to occupy that whole space. So it's like, all right, well, we'll use it, but we got to find other people that can use it with us. 
And to me, that was like, well, that's just more services we can bring into the building. So it wasn't a one-trick pony. It wasn't just a recording facility. It was an ecosystem where an artist or an individual or a business can come in and pick up so many different elements of their needs for their business interest. But in trying to staff that with people that had certain skill sets, I just kept hitting walls. You know, people were interested but not ready. They were available but not equipped. They were equipped but not knowledgeable. It, there was always a piece missing, and it's like, man, how do I get over this hump? Because after about three, four, five, six months of that, and you're still paying the bills and you're still trying to do your job to make money and you're still trying to find a way to make this work, it became very, very discouraging. Sure, I can figure that. I mean, I can understand that yeah. 100%. And then out of nowhere, I get a call from Mike Brown. And what was interesting about you personally was, again, when Ken did decide, okay, I believe in what Art is doing, I'm going to invest in myself to make sure I'm as prepared as possible, he went to the Recording Connection. Now, you know that facility better than I do, but ultimately it was an education program, right? Yeah. And what they did was they made um, an alliance with you. Yeah, they partner with other professional studios in, in like, basically all the major cities. Mm -hmm. And the point is to be able to provide hands-on training for their student body, regardless of where they are in the country. Correct. And Ken ended up here. Mm -hmm. And I know he got familiar with some of your guys who were helping him through this training process. So once he had that, it was like, okay, now we've got a little bit more to work with, but we still need to find the people that can do what you can't do or be here when you can't be here. And it just didn't work out. So when I get a call from Mike Brown of the Lava Room, it was like, oh, that name's familiar. You know what I mean? And it was the first thing you left me was a message. So I called you back and I'm like, yeah, I got your message. What what's on your mind? And and it was pretty quick too. I was oh, surprised. Yeah. Well, of course. I mean, again, yeah. you just trained my only other resource in this industry. I'm real curious to hear what you got to say. And you bring to my attention your situation here. And I think initially there was this fear of us being competitors in the same building. Yeah, and and let me interject for a second sure. too because um I'll I'll tell you what was going on with me, <clears throat> excuse me, over the last probably year. Okay. So I was trying to prepare for what I was going to be doing for the next five years. Mm -hmm. So I knew at the end of last year, I thought, okay, I'm going to have uh, my lease is going to come up due in uh, the end of June for July 1st. So I had a different landlord currently than I did when I signed the initial lease. So I had never negotiated with him before. So I was like, okay, I'm not sure what to expect from this guy because we haven't really had any interaction outside of me sending him a check every month. Sure. So I wanted to anticipate what our needs were going to be for growth and did I want to stay here, which I didn't have any anticipation of moving at the time. Sure. I'm always interested in growing the business. We've diversified so much over the last 10 years even. Mm -hmm. But I was just thinking, okay, let me prepare myself for what is going to happen. And I figure with any lease negotiation, you know, especially coming out of the pandemic, a lot of businesses struggled. So 
Absolutely. Of course, I expected rates to go up, things right. like that. But they had to be reasonable for us because we got punished just like every other business did in the pandemic. That's right. So we couldn't afford to have anything crazy happen. It had to be reasonable. And not knowing what to expect, I wanted to go, okay, if plan A doesn't work out, which is where we are, what is my plan B going to be? Mm-hmm. So I happened to live very close to your location, and, and I knew all the guys that had worked there previously. Right. But it was a commercial studio, and we're 90% music. We right. do probably, it's probably 85, 15 at this point. And we do mostly music, and we also do commercial advertising, television spots, ADR, some film posts. So I've been wanting to grow that part of the business in addition to our music. Sure. So I had paid attention to Commercial Recordings Building, you know, the building you're currently in, when it closed and then when it sold. And even before, when I was thinking about my lease a year and a half ago, it was vacant. It was for sale. So right. I wasn't in a position to buy a building, but I was curious as what was going to happen. Right. So I drove by the building a couple of times just to kind of keep tabs on it. And one day the for sale sign was gone. Mm. And I was like, huh, wonder what happened. And I had heard through the grapevine that a lawyer bought the building. Yep. And I was like, why would a lawyer buy a recording studio? Yep. So I thought, okay, well, this building is probably going to get repurposed. So it was off my radar at that point. So right. that was a year and a half ago. So fast forward to a couple months ago, I start to think about my lease renegotiation and things start to get a little rocky where I'm thinking I need to have a plan B because this does not seem like it's going very well. My landlord mm. had had proposed astronomical uh, rate hikes. Increases, yeah. Yeah, I was like, this is... He just he wasn't really familiar with the industry. It's not so much about the cost or what a you know a business could afford in this market or in this area, but he didn't know the entertainment industry, what recording studios can really afford to play or pay you know cost per square foot. Sure. So it was not going well. So immediately I was like, I need to look at my options before this gets out of control. Right. And I was bothered by it because there's not a lot of things going on. So many businesses closed up, you know, and there's just not a lot of options without like a complete like build out, you know what I mean? And I was like, I'm not prepared to do this. You have to really think about that and prepare for something that astronomical, you know, it's a big undertaking. So um, I was sitting at home one day and I'm trying to think, you know, what am I going to do? And I happened to look prior to this two months, I happened to look after that building sold. I happened to Google it. You know, I'm like, I wonder if anything's in there yet. Mm-hmm. And I pulled up a page and it looked like a website for a consulting business. Mm-hmm. This is prior to GB Entertainment or anything. It might have been something like that. I don't even think it said GB Entertainment. I thought it said something consulting. Yeah. So it, I was it, like, okay, well, Clearly, there's some business going in there that's just not audio. Right. And then that was off my, that was when things were off my radar. So then, fast forward just a couple months ago, I'm thinking about this. My wife mentioned, she goes, Why don't you drive by that place again and see who's in there? You know, so I drove by the studio and I see Grice Corp on the sign. Mm. And I was like, Who the heck is Grice Corp? <laughs> You know, I'm like, clearly that does not sound like a recording studio. Right. So immediately I just block it out. 
you know, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to beat the shit out of my landlord and get these rates down because right. I don't have anywhere else to go. So, um, like, little do I know that my wife's trying to be helpful. So she Googles Grice Corp, finds you on LinkedIn, finds the new website, and she's like, there's some kind of recording studio or something going on there. Hmm. So I'm like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I'm like, now, now I'm thinking if there's a studio that's around that I need to know who that is because right. that means you're going you're yeah you're you're going to be on our radar right so i mean just by just general business acumen right so and you know the facility what it's capable of yeah so yeah. of course i'm like i need to know what's going on over there. right so i look at the page and i see all these different services and i'm thinking i know everybody in this business locally cuz i've been doing it long enough and I don't know who any of these people are, who it is. <laughs> so I pick up the phone and I call you right. and I leave a message. And I don't know if you recall what I said when you called back, but I was like, all right, what are you doing in there? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, like, you were very investigatory. I know. It was like, it's probably, you know, flipping on to what you must have heard. Me was initially going, tell me what's going on in there. Right. You know, whether it was polite or not, I was like, I need to know what's up. Yeah, you're definitely uh, looking for information, and yeah, and and I'm I'm pretty direct where I try to be as polite as possible, but there's no there's no reason to beat around the bush, right? You know, yeah. so I was like, let's just immediately go. What are you doing in there, right? And, and then which what was, did you say? Which was favorable to me because when I got your message, I was. I was I was conscious of the fact that you were aware that I was there. So like, okay, I'm on his radar. But I was like, well, maybe that's because Ken just left there. And Ken was on his radar. And because Ken had been calling, I believe it was Mike, the other Mike, saying, hey, I'm in this space. I could use your help. I could use some input. I can use some, you know, some feedback on and what I had we're trying no to do. no clue of that. Because I don't know that Mike ever took it beyond he, himself. Yeah. He probably was like, well, maybe that's competition, and he's not going to tell me any of that. Right. So it, Protect yeah, the brand. It never, it never came across my desk. But on my side, I didn't know that. I just knew he had reached out to somebody here. It could have been Chris. I'm not sure who it was. But when I finally got a call, I'm like, oh, okay, they finally caught on. That's why he's calling. No big deal. So yeah. I was excited to talk to you thinking that he's probably worried about what I'm doing, not looking to help in what I'm doing. So when you came the way you came, like, hey, who are you and what are you doing over there? I'm like, well, you should know who I am because yeah. my guy just left your building, but yeah. this is who I am. Yeah. And I think that initially uh, when, when when it became clear that I wasn't an engineer, yeah, that I wasn't in the music business, then it was like, oh, okay, well, if he's not a competitor. But, but I, what I do remember saying to you was, you know, this is who I am. This is the kind of business I'm looking to build out. But I am in desperate need of audio engineering. Yeah. In addition to my guy. Do you remember what I said? Not verbatim. I said, Arthur, we are about to become best friends. I do remember you saying that yeah, a couple times. I was times. like, oh, man. <laughs> when, I, when you told me what you were doing, I was like, oh, man. This is every single thing that I need right now, I hope there's enough space. Right. You know what I mean? And not knowing really what your plans were over there. So, because you kind of told me a little bit about the people that you were aligned with, but I just didn't know, were they tenants Fitting in there? Yeah. Were they already there? Is it just like, 
we're putting this together now, but it's not, it's not all there. And I was like, man, if there's just one room over there, that's not going to be enough. Cause right. we have, we're, we're in a facility that's 8,000 square feet, but we occupy a little more than half of it. Right. So at a bare minimum, I needed like four to 5,000 square feet. Right. And I was like, man, this is, this doesn't look like it's, it's going to work, except it might be something that I can use for an interim before I move from here to somewhere else, whatever the next plan could be. And, and the beautiful thing about my situation was what I think made it so seamless was I was prepared for somebody to be there, yeah. but I wasn't sure who that somebody was going to be. I always built out this space to be kind of a nucleus for a multitude of different services and not people who were providing services to me as employees, but people who are providing services as contractors. So, sure. but instead of me, cause I, my visual was always a client walks through the door looking for coaching services, looking for engineering services, looking or audio services, looking for whatever mm-hmm. they're going to walk through the door, but they're going to walk through the door looking for what they need. But I want to make them aware of other opportunities to help them grow themselves in their space. And that changes from person to person. This person may need a photographer. This person may need a website built. This person may need a logo. This person may need an image consultant. And this person may need some trauma support. Okay. You never really know what a person's going to need, but regardless of what they needed, I knew that through my consulting business, I can connect them with somebody that could fulfill that need. Excuse me. The point of this facility was so that they didn't have to run all over town to find them. Sure. I will reach out to my resources. I will bring them here. So, yes, it was an 8,000, it's an 8,000 square foot building, but it's always meant to be a transient space. Come in, do what you got to do, go out. Come in, do what you got to do, go out. But because it was built as a recording studio, I needed to have recording engineering on hand at all times. Otherwise, I might as well do what the lawyer is going to do and gut the building and do something else with the space. So when I couldn't find the people directly to do it, and you called saying, well, I'm looking to do that, I'm like, well, why not? You know, why not use this space and just make it your own however you need to make it work? But as long as you're fulfilling my services, then I'm winning. As long as I'm bringing you opportunities, then you're winning. And that became the trade-off. And I think that's what made it so, it was like a duh moment. Like, why, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you come in here? Why wouldn't you let him in here? So it's like, can we make this work? You know what I yeah. mean? And the pieces, like you said, the pieces just started to literally fall in place. We didn't have to search for them. They literally just fell in place. So Yeah, and the, the biggest concern for me at, at the jump was that we have a lot of space here that's, Larger rooms because, like I said, we're based mostly in music. So right. the you need a large live room to record a big band, you know. And there are pros and cons or pluses here and some things that I disliked. Like, for instance, I love the size of the rooms, but our ceiling is a 10, well, it's like a 9-foot-8 ceiling. Mm. And in a studio, it's ideal to have at least a 12-foot ceiling. Right. So... The space works for us. It's functional, but, you know, I always missed having a 12-foot ceiling. The previous place we moved out, it had a 14-foot ceiling. So for drum sounds, it was the best studio I'd ever recorded drums in. Then we move into this place, and there's some modifications and changes, but you make the best out of what you got. Sure. So going over and looking at that space, I walked in, and I was like, this place is awesome, 
but there's no big rooms. Right. And then I really had to think about the industry. Like I do, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 albums a year amongst all the other projects that I do. So full-length records, I'd say, somewhere between 15 and 20 projects. And I really had to think about how many of those projects did I have everybody standing in one room. Right. And it amounted to like two or three. Most of them were done with a drummer in a room by himself and the other guys in the control rooms tracking through load boxes or just differences, you know, the way the industry has changed technology-wise. Sure. And made me go, why on earth would I need a huge live room that sits dormant 12 projects a year when I can maximize the space with an additional studio or two or three for that matter because this new place has four studios. Here we had two. And now we can double our output but also do so many more things. So I just had, I don't know how long it took me to make a decision. It took a while couple months yeah from our initial talks i mean i was back and forth a hundred times trying to go what's gonna make sense but you um you schooled me on the industry before you really realized it um you know i always saw this building as this beautiful space i mean anybody that's been into the building they're always wowed by just the presence of the building sure but i had no clue of the limitations of the building until you came in there and it started raining. I'll never forget that phone call. You was like, we got a big problem. I'm like, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. And when I came in, yeah. it was like from that day forward, my ears don't work the same. Oh, yeah. Because you're like, you don't hear that? And I'm like, well, yeah, I hear it. But then you explain why it was a problem. It's like, oh, shit, we're screwed. I'm real good at ruining shit for people. Yeah, you did. Was, I can ruin how you listen to music by just telling you how they're made. <laughs> right. But but it's it's something, you know, because if I'm going to be in this space, I got to understand some of these things. So yeah. it was a great, great lesson right out the gate. But it just made me conscious of as close as I thought I was to flipping a light switch and making this thing go. It's like, dude, you haven't even started the process yet. Yeah. Which just meant a lot more, you know, uncertainty. But... It was so helpful to have you there to say, this is how we make that happen. So the uncertainty became something that I can bump off of you and say, does this make sense? And you say, this does, this doesn't. And it made, you know, that that trial and error, that learning curve was much, much shorter. So that helped a ton. Well, I'll tell you what, to put a feather in your own cap, I've worked with a lot of people over the years. Most of Most of what I've done over the last... 12 years Mm -hmm. I've done mostly myself like not working with any other businesses involved in this business it's mostly like if there's something that needs to be done I'll project manager it or do it myself so I have control over making sure it gets done the way we need it to get done sure because there's a this business is so niche market you know what I mean it's like if you ask a contractor to come in and do stuff, chances are they've never even been in a studio, let alone done the specific stuff that we need to do. So it's tough to work with guys like that. Right. And then when we were discussing some of the situations with isolation in those rooms, because that facility was originally, you know, working on all ad agency type stuff. So sure. they never dealt with like large SPL volumes, you know, sound pressure level volumes like, huge drum sets and really loud guitars and Mm -hmm. things that are a challenge, you know, I was like, we're going to need to 
redo some stuff here. And when right. you look at that place, before we did anything, it looked beautiful. You know, it's like, okay, this place is great. Let's plug stuff in and start working. And I was like, whoa, we got to really look at this. Right. And then we started pulling some pieces apart, and we're like, oh, <laughs> man. It's like we opened up Pandora's box. Yeah, we did. But we did it all right. You know, you got the right guys to come in and do those things that needed to be done, and they did it quick. Yeah. And we're going to be... We're going to be off to the races in just a couple weeks. Yeah, and that's that's the exciting part. So you, you you touched on something that I want to dig into a little bit. You said, I've worked with a lot of people. Who exactly? There's two facets here. There's Mike Brown, the guy, and then there's the lava room, the business. Can you tell me the distinction? Can you give me a little background on Mike Brown? And can you give me a little background on the history of the lava room? Not just where it's been, but who they've worked with. I want my people to kind of get a feel for... What makes you different than, say, Ken or, you know, some of the other guys that they might know in the audio engineering business? Sure. I'll tell you how I originally got started is when I was 14, 15 years old, like, I was glued to MTV, you right. know, and I was watching guitar players, and I was like, I want to be on a stage as a player. I wanted to be a player. Mm. And I decided that, like, I told my parents initially I wanted to go out to L.A. to the Musicians Institute and just study guitar. And my dad's like, no. <laughs> nope. And it was expensive. It was, right. you know, 1,500 miles away. Right. <clears throat> you know, it's any kid's dream. But my dad's like, nah, nope. And so I just played in bands from when I was 14 until I was um, 18. I got out of high school when I was 16 because I hated school. I was a good student, but I just... I didn't want to be in school. All I wanted to be was on a stage. Hmm. So I took night school, summer school. I graduated from high school when I was 16. Awesome. So when I was 16 till I was 18, all I did was played gigs, did live sound, and I worked night shift stocking shelves at a supermarket because that's the only place you could work with long hair. I had long <laughs> hair as a musician. Right. It was I not acceptable it. then. Right. This was in right. the you know early 90s, or right. late 80s, 80s early 90s. Yeah. So one day my dad comes home from work and he goes, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm, I'm living the dream. Right. He's like, no, you need to go to college. I'm like, mm. uh, nope. Right. I got nothing I want to do. So he drops a manual in front of me with all these classes from Tri-C. Okay. And he goes, pick whatever you want, but you got to do something. And I'm like, there's nothing in there that I want to do. He goes, look through it. You got to pick something. So I start flipping through and I find... Associate of the Arts, you can study music. I'm like, all right, if I can go to school and study music, I'll do that. Sure. So that's what I did. At Tri-C. Yeah. Which, Tri -C for Western those who don't Campus. know, that's Cuyahoga Community College. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I was a local Tri-C guy. Right. So I studied music there, and one of my professors, who was my guitar teacher, he was a graduate from Berklee College of Music in Boston. Mm. So... He, you know, asked me, he's like, what do you want to do when you finish here? And I was like, I'm not sure. And he said, you should really go check out the school. Um, if you really want to be a musician, you know, this is where you need to go. That's, there's two music colleges in the country that are the top for music. There's Juilliard in New York, and that's all classical. Right. Uh, and then there's Berkeley in Boston, which is jazz and everything else. Mm, okay. So uh, I went out to Berkeley and I looked at the school. And I was like, this is like, it talked about Disneyland for musicians. Oh, I, I was like, imagine. man, this is amazing. That's cool. But they don't take just anybody. You have to apply and you have to go audition. 
So mm-hmm. you had to pass an audition as a musician to get accepted into the school. So um, I decided that, and I wanted to go out there and study music to be a performer. So I went out there and I took my audition and I passed my audition. Okay. It took me a couple of years to get together the finances to be able to go because Berkeley was incredibly expensive. Mm. And I had to live out there, so it just doubled the cost. Right. So my first semester at Berkeley, well, first, when I went out there to audition, I'm sitting in a hallway with all of these kids from all over the world. There's Asian people, there's people from Brazil, there's people from Spain. And, mm. you know, and, and I think it's like 51% international when I was there. I think it's even more towards international now than Is domestic right? students. Okay. So all these players are like running circles around me. And I'm like, talk about intimidated, you know. I was like, wow, the best of the best are sitting here at 18 years old. You know, okay. and I'm like, I am nobody in this hallway right now. <laughs> and I thought I was hot shit going in, you right. know what I mean? So I passed my audition, got excited about going there. My first semester there, I'm taking my classes and part of your basic courses, imagine going to a college where you have to take math, English, history, all the regular things that you would take at college. But right. it's at Berkeley, it was songwriting and music theory and instead of like if it if you needed to take an english class it would be lyric writing everything Mm. applied to music but it was still the same lessons okay so when there was a science type class it ended up being like music synthesis and i started getting around the technology stuff and i did live sound prior to that so i was familiar with the mixing board and you know musicians and stuff sure And then I kind of saw what happened on the other side of the glass. You know, I see there's guys working behind a console as opposed to being musicians. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, wow, this is something I could really see myself doing. And Mm -hmm. I really started to gravitate more towards the tech than the performance. But to get a degree at Berkeley, you still have to have a principal instrument. So I still had to study guitar and take classes. Um, So when you come out of that college, you're not, like my degree is in music production and engineering. So that's what my physical degree is in. Okay. But I came out of school with a huge, vast knowledge of music, not just as a performer, but as a writer and as a um, a composer. You know what I mean? Oh, really? Yeah. So I had to learn, you know, string arrangements and horn arrangements and huh. stuff as a musician, which applies every day to the projects that I do here. When I work with musicians, it's sure. like now I can communicate with everybody because I understand the language that they talk. Right. And, and it, that hugely impacted, you know, my career as an engineer and later as a producer. Because I'm sure it made a lot of artists comfortable with you working on their stuff because they knew you knew the backstory. For sure. I mean, on a local level, a lot of musicians or bands, for that matter, don't even really understand what a producer does. And when you're talking about certain styles of music, like in electronic or hip-hop music Mm -hmm. you know a producer is often the person that's writing the music in the rock market or pop market a producer is a guy that's working with writers and musicians and helping them fine-tune and make whatever they've got better Hmm, so it's kind of like just fine-tuning the whole project so a producer does a lot of things besides just you know i'm wearing multiple hats when i'm sitting behind a console I'm engineering, but we're also working on the songs, you know, the arrangement of the songs, the sound, the instruments, the gear that they're using, all of those Mm. little elements, you know. 
And, and that's another part of the education process for me. You know, I've told you, I've told everybody listening, I have no real experience in the world of music. And it's funny because everybody's like, well, why did you get into music then? Why are you in a recording studio? Well, because my guy did music and I need to do something. I needed a target market to focus my coaching and consulting energy on. But again, for me, it's not the industry, it's the individual. I'm trying to help develop the individual. If that individual wants to develop into a musician, then that's where you come to play. And this facility allows us to do that on a very large scale. So it's very helpful for me to have you around because as these individuals come to you for music and then they come to me for direction, I'm going to have to come back to you to make sure that I'm steering them in the right direction as it relates to their career field. So that's a big part of the process. And Ken was very helpful in helping me understand the difference because he is an artist as well as an engineer. So he understands both sides of the glass as well. So it helped me to really see how limited I was. And there was only so much, you know, strain I wanted to put on him as an individual. So you coming through the door is like, you know, peace of mind out the door. You know what I mean? It's like I can I can sleep now. I can think ahead now. I can start to build on that now. So that was huge. Sure. But yeah. So you so you you get all these skills. You decide to take it to the engineering side. How did you end up in a studio? Well, the first the first place that I worked at coming out of college, I came back to Cleveland because this was my home. Sure. And you can work in any major city and you're going to find recording studios, you know, and college was expensive. And I came out of school like every other student does with a large amount of debt. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't, I can't go in New York and LA and survive with the student loans that I had and the cost of living and going in any major studio, you were working as an intern first, then as an assistant and you could be an assistant forever. Mm. And it just did not make sense to stay in those big markets when I could come back here, start inexpensively, you know, in terms of the cost of living, being able to, houses are so much cheaper, and then start my career here and see what happened. And that that was what I decided to do. And the first studio I worked at was a studio called Buchanan Recording Complex. Okay. And Cleveland's such a huge hip-hop town. I wanted to do nothing but rock, pop, alternative. I'm a a live musician. That's where I wanted to go. But Cleveland's a huge hip-hop town. So immediately when I got, um, when I started working for Buchanan, I started as an intern, just like anybody that works here starts as an intern first. Sure. To learn the business, the trade. I mean, I thought I knew everything coming out of school come to find out there's, you know, the real world's a lot different than how they make it look on paper. Absolutely. So um, I learned a lot from some really great guys that I am still working with now. And they're in different cities and different parts of their career, but we still do stuff. And that's 25 years ago that I met these guys. That's awesome. Hugely influential. Um, And then I decided, I mean, I started working in hip hop and... You know, some of the bands or the artists that I work with were like huge artists like Bone Thugs. Mm -hmm. You know, I did a lot of work with those guys. I learned a lot about life-threatening situations. (laughs) I learned a lot about... Welcome to Cleveland. Yeah. I learned a lot about, you know, just how to react and, and fit into that because coming out 
of college, you know, I'm a 20-something-year-old white guy in a right. studio that is predominantly hip-hop. Right. You know, something doesn't make sense when you're looking at the groups. It's like, why is this guy different, you know? Right. And immediately, like, I understood the nature of the tech, you know, being an engineer. But knowing the music, and because I didn't listen to hip-hop music, I was listening to rock music coming right out of the 80s and 90s. So I had to educate myself with, you know, what was popular, you right. know? And learning, you know, just to be able to communicate with those guys. And then it became a really cool thing where, like, where I was originally in danger in situations like that, I became the guy that they would not let anybody mess with because if something happened to me, the session was over. Right. So the guys that were the scary, gun-carrying, trouble guys were the guys that kept me out of harm's way if some unruly people came in on sessions because oh. they were paying big bucks to get their <laughs> right. records done. The last thing you wanted to have happen is your session to stop. Right. So that was fun. Yeah, you know, I, I enjoyed that. And those guys, the guys that were there to work, that were talented and, you know, they were living the life of these, you know, crazy rapper lifestyles, but they were serious workers. You know, I yeah. loved working on the Bone Thug stuff. It was great. Yeah. Those guys are all super talented. And it wasn't just, it was Bone Thugs and Mo Thugs. And it was like all the cousins and right. brothers and friends and... They were all trying to be, you know, number one. Yeah, they have a huge collaboration of artists. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that was just the beginning of many projects that sure. I had done. Because, you know, because I started, Buchanan was a predominantly hip-hop recording studio. I did a lot of live stuff there, too. Yeah. But we all did, you know, tons of hip-hop stuff then. Mm. And, you know, and then over time, I kind of outgrew that. And then I wanted to do nothing but live records because that's mm. what I really wanted to produce. Okay. And that's what that's what I really liked. And when I left Buchanan, I went freelance and I started just bouncing around other studios. And I had built a reputation cutting records and mixing records in the live music market, whether it's jazz, rock, pop, blues, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. That people would, you know, look me look me up, give me a call, and we would meet, and I'd produce a record for them, and I might cut it at a studio in Akron and mix it in studio in Cleveland, and I bounced gotcha. all around, and then I went to work down in Akron for a couple of years at the Neon Cactus studio down there. Okay, um, and then from there, I I started Lava Room in two thousand three, and originally. I had a little production space that was in this old real estate building that was in the middle of a parking lot. It was about a 12 by 12 room. Oh, wow. And that was just a production space where I mixed any record that I went out and cut in other studios. And eventually I was like, there's, there's all these great studios that I've been to working at. And they all had great elements, but they were missing something. Like mm. some studios had great live rooms and a great console, but not a great mic collection. Or okay. the opposite. They'd have a great mic collection, but a really small space. Mm. So I decided I wanted to start my own space so I could build it and customize it the way that I wanted to do records. Interesting. So ironically enough, you've met John Walsh, good yep. friend of mine. John and I have been friends for 30 years. Yeah. He's a guy with a lot of history as well. Yeah. John and I worked together at Buchanan right. initially. And then when I went freelance, we all kind of went in different directions. Okay. 
So that was the end of the 90s, like 99, I think I left there. In 2003, I started Lava Room, and I called John up, and I was like, hey, what are you doing? And he's like, just mastering records wherever I can. Mm. You know, John was doing nothing but mastering, and I think he did a lot of live sound then, too. Okay. John was always a musician, so he play, He still plays in bands. Yeah, you told me. Yeah, yeah. He's played for, I don't know, 40 years probably. At least maybe it's more than that. Mm. And I was like, hey, you want to come do mastering at the studio? I knew if I said that to him that he'd, he'd get the bug again, and I knew I, he'd be engineering records in no time. Right. And sure enough, he came down, saw the place. He's like, this place is great. Let's do it. And then John became a full-time guy. Oh, and so then, this, that goes back to the beginning. Okay. Yeah, yeah, John was with me at the very beginning. That's awesome. And so he worked He worked there, and I at the time, in 2003, I had maybe four or five engineers. Okay. And we started doing, I bought a, I bought a big SSL console in like 2006. I don't know if you know what an SSL is. No, it's you can like, tell me. It is, um, it's basically the pedigree on that, on that console at the time, and it's probably still, still somewhat relevant, 74% of number one records are tracked and mixed on an SSL. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, it's the real deal. So if you wanted to be legit and recognized as, you know, a world-class room, you had to have an SSL. What does SSL stand for? Solid State Logic. Gotcha. Okay. So and it was it was a specific model and SSL four thousand EG was like the model. Okay. And any legit studio in New York, LA, Nashville, that was kind of what what you had to have to be considered like on par of your legit. How many how many of those units were in this Northeast Ohio space? One. And it was in my place. Is that right? Yeah. I was the first one to have an SSL. So there's the there's the the map creator. Yes. That's what put you on the map in this So put area. me on the map. Put me on the map nationally. Yeah. So with the I mean, intent, for this area nationally, yeah. right. With the intent of if you build it, they will come. Right. Is what I what I thought. And yeah, I, I was logic. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it it brought people for sure. Don't sure. get me wrong. But that's not that's not the selling point. Yeah. yeah. And you know what I thought as an early businessman, I thought this is how I'm going to get it done. And it made sense on paper and it just, I thought it was going to do it. And it, it helped us gain a reputation with record labels. And we worked with a lot of big level artists because of that console. Okay. Um, could we have done it without it? Maybe, but that, that brought the, the big names through the door, you know, and, and sometimes I forget looking at our client list going back as far as, as 2006, but all the big names came to Cleveland because we were getting it done. Really? Yeah. And you there mean was, for shows or to record? No, to record. When they came through town. For one was, reason or another. Yeah, it was you. they stopped with us. You know, they came, you know, they came to our studio first. And you're talking big names, names we would recognize. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, from, from going back to the very first studio, like I think one of the first really cool projects I did on the SSL. I did a halftime show for the NBA. Okay. For, um, it was the, you know, the music performance that they have during sure. the halftime. And it was Nicole from the Pussycat Dolls. Okay. Uh, was the featured artist. So we did all of the vocals for that performance that they, you know, cause they pre-record all that stuff. Right. And that was one of the first things. And, 
these are all long stories for another time. I could I yeah, could tell stories yeah, I'm sure for you could. hours upon hours. Right. But that was like, you know, the reason we got gigs like that is right. because of the reputation of um, you know, people will search, does this studio have an SSL? Boom, that's what we need. Okay. Gotcha. And then we get in the calls. Interesting. Yeah. So we did a lot of really great stuff. We did I did um a recording that was for a soundtrack for the Fantastic Four with uh, Scott Weiland in the Velvet Revolver. Oh, you know? really? Yeah, Scott Weiland. I mean, everybody knows that name. Sure. You know, he was an amazing artist to work with. You know, that was Fantastic Four soundtrack. That was a really great track. I mean, Slash played on that. That was right. an awesome, awesome project. It's a good movie, too. Yeah. And in addition to that, we did... Um, Babyface was in town doing a show at the House of Blues. And okay. his his backup band, you know, that supported him in his shows was uh the keyboard player's name was Rob Lewis. Ironically enough, he was a Berkeley grad, and I think that's how we got connected. But we did um a song, they cut it live in the studio. This was really fun to watch, besides mm. cool to work on. Sure. The whole band came in and they watched the end scene from a movie called, is it First Sunday? First Sunday or Last Sunday? I can't remember. I think it's First Sunday. Okay. It was like Ice Cube and um, a lot of uh, a lot of guys from that era that yeah, were all like Sunday. comedian yeah. comedians. And Tracy Morgan was in that yeah. movie. A couple other guys. Cat Williams. All right. So they needed an outro song for this movie. So um, I think... Um, Jennifer Hudson sang it. Mm. So basically, the I forget who the movie company was that produced that movie, but they sent us the outro, the video, and we watched it. And they're like, they told Rob, they go, just write us something for this outro. So the band is watching the movie. They're in the control room sitting next to me, and they're like, two, three, four, boom, and just start playing. And I'm like, what <laughs> the fuck is this? <laughs> And it was amazing to watch right. this creativity Process, happen right, right there. Right. And in half hour, they had a track. And they're wow. like, all right, set us up. We set up microphones, recorded it in two days, you know, and two months later, I'm sitting in a movie theater watching this movie. <laughs> and it was like the first time I saw my name and the studio name roll down the big credits. Oh, that's you know? pretty cool, yeah. And I'm sitting there going, man, this is cool. <laughs> you know, that was like... That was like, I think the the first time that that really happened to me as a kid was when I first heard a song on the radio that I had recorded. Okay. And, you know, and that just kind of, it just kind of tells you, like, y you finally got there. Sure. You know, I'm doing stuff that's just as good as these other guys. Right. And that was, like, a personal, like, gratification or just goal or just like a personal accomplishment for me was hearing something like that. Cause I don't really like being in the public eye. I have no interest in fame or right. celebrity or nothing. I like being the guy that, that everybody knows that they did this, but I don't want to walk down a street and be recognized for it. And that's one of the things we have in common. Yeah. You know, I, um, I kind of, I guess I, I was kind of magnet magnetized to you for that very reason because one of the first things you told me was hey look i know how to do this stuff i'm not interested in selling it i'm not interested in going out and getting in front of these businesses because you know again my world is the business world i want to reach out to organizations and corporations 
and make them aware of this capacity. It's not so much a matter of the skill set. There's a thousand recording studios out here. There's a bunch of audio engineers out here, but most of them don't have the capacity you have. They don't have the SSL unit. They don't have the 20, 30 years of experience in the industry, and they don't know how to turn an advertisement into a great sounding audio. It's just a recording for a lot of people. So I wanted to go out and pitch that, but I couldn't do that comfortably without knowing that I had somebody in the studio that can, you know, put my money where my mouth is, so to speak. Sure. So that made it real easy for me when you said, you know, I could sit in here and do the work if you can go out and get it. I'm like, oh, okay, well, yeah, that's a... That's a fair trade-off because I can't do it unless, you know, I can't go out and sell unless you're here to do it. So it was just a, it was a very organic thing. So that's been fun. Um, you know, one of the other things that I feel is important about this collaboration is my Links Not Change program, mm-hmm. which is my nonprofit organization, which is built around something that we're both very adamant about, which is bringing our skill sets to a market that we were born and raised in that doesn't have a ton of representation of people that do what we do or that are capable of what we're capable of. So through this nonprofit organization, I'm trying to help children who grow up like me or like you to have a direct avenue towards resources that aren't easy to find. I'm trying mm-hmm. to make people aware of that. And I am targeting certain groups that are affiliated with this nonprofit organization. And one of the things that I've always been adamant about wanting to provide is some level of skill for these persons. Uh, one of those things that, as you've stated time and time again, Cleveland is a hip-hop child. There's a lot of musically inclined people in this area. And there's a lot of kids that would be interested in this especially if they can get to it before the streets got to them. Sure. So when I brought that to your attention, how I was working on a school for um, training contractors and painters and things of that nature, you mentioned a school. You want to tell us about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, like you already had mentioned with Ken that we, um, we do mentoring for students through the Recording Connection mm-hmm. where they use us to educate their students. And when we started working with the Recording Connection, there's, there was a handful of elements of their curriculum that I thought could be enhanced or just improved upon knowing, at least in our market, in, in this area, you know, what we do on a daily basis. And I thought there were some things that were left out of their program or that we could spend more time developing. So I decided to create our own program. And... Mm. The original design on it was, you know, we we get interns on a regular basis that want to come in here and, you know, learn to engineer and become professional engineers. And the long and short of it is you can go to school and get an education on that, but you still have to start as an intern to get real-world experience. Sure. So one of the things I thought would help us basically put together a farm system for the studio would be to educate them at the ground floor Uh, on what we needed for future employees. Mm -hmm. So I started this program, but the thing that we ran into problems with is we ran a handful of students through the program, and the ones that could afford the program out of pocket, um, we were able to work with, but we weren't big enough to be able to afford or to provide, I should say, um, funding like, you know, student loans because we were a small program, certificate-based program. Sure. 
And that was a problem for students because we had a lot of interest in our program, but it was hard for people to be able to afford it because it's expensive to be here in a facility like this to teach what we teach. Right. Um, so, you know, the program has been a great experience for us and for the students. In fact, Ryan, who's sitting behind the board in there for us right now, went through the program. That's awesome. So he works here and he's engineering as a result of his education through there. Right. So, you know, that was the initial reason for starting the program. Okay. And then we get busy here where we have two rooms and sometimes we can accommodate and take on students. And other times where sessions are so busy that, you know, we don't have as much time. Or space, you know, right. It's space or even the people, you know what I mean, right. to educators. So that was another part of this, you know, that when we started talking about the education, I was like, oh, my gosh, we can really explode the CSAR program, sure. you know, Cleveland School of Audio Recording, because now we'll have a space that we can do the education in and then basically go into the studios and do their hands-on hands stuff. Yeah. So that that opens up. A huge part of that. And then, you know, when you and I started talking about funding and trying to offer these opportunities to kids, it became a situation of, well, how do we get the funding for that, you know? And and then it all just started to fall into place. Yeah, you know, and that's that's the beauty of having that 501c3 certification um, for tax um, deductions for contributors and donors. You know, people love causes. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people can relate to the causes that we're affiliated with, whether they're directly interested in music or not is one thing. Some of them are just interested in seeing kids have an opportunity. Some of them are interested in helping inmates in the prison system um, be a little less concerned about what their kid is doing in their absence, you know, because they've been through that themselves. Maybe their parent was in the justice system or they were previously in the justice system. So there's a lot of interest in a lot of different avenues. And what I'm starting to find is there's a lot of charter schools out there now. There's a lot of education facilities that aren't necessarily sanctioned or governed or under the control of the state or the counties or the cities that they're in. So they have a little more flexibility, and they're always looking for ways to diversify themselves from some of these other programs. So there are charter schools that are interested in adding an audio engineering or some type of music program because we, we lost music in high school. I don't know if you I remember when music oh, was yeah. no longer available. Yeah, I have a six-year-old at home. I'm so worried about the state of the education system when he gets there because that is such an important part of my life. And I know sure. that got me where I am today. That and the help of like my parents really exposing me to that with music lessons as a kid, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at without my parents really getting me in that situation. Absolutely. And, you know, now it's like, that's the first thing to be cut. Sports programs stay music gone. Right. You know, and I understand the sports programs, it's, they're more popular, but the music programs are still hugely important. Absolutely. Even even foreign languages, I mean, handwriting, sure. house, hospitality or um, home economics, things of that nature, stuff yeah, that yeah. we just, we don't have time to teach our kids anymore because now you got two parents working in almost every household. Yeah, A lot of these kids are fending for themselves. So a program like that becomes a huge resource to a community like this. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm really, really excited about how that takes off. You know, I, um, I've given a lot of thought to how we actually kind of go to market with this. You know, 
you've got these experiences and these resources. I've got these experiences and these resources. They don't necessarily align, but they are so counterdependent upon each other Sure, in a very, very good way. So that's one of the things that I'm most excited about. Uh, what are some of the accomplishments of the Lava Room? Things that will, you know, kind of wet people's whistles a little bit about, you know, what's going on in this facility now. Are there any things that, I mean, because I know you do more than just music. You mentioned yeah. ADR, and I'm, you've mentioned to me what that means. A lot of my listeners may not know, but that takes you outside of the world of music and bring you into the world of advertising and post-production. You want to speak a little bit to that? Yeah, I mean, we, we've had some really cool stuff happen over the last six months here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to start, like, this is the first year that we had worked on a project that got uh, an Oscar nomination. So we had worked on, we did some ADR with Adam Driver. Everybody knows who Adam Driver is in Star Wars. And he acted in that movie House of Gucci. Right. So we did some ADR for House of Gucci when Adam was in town on another film that was shot in Cleveland. I don't recall what he was shooting at the time, but that was great working with those guys. And And ADR? ADR. Yeah, automated dialogue replacement. Right. So they shot a scene, and they decided later that they wanted to change the dialogue where uh, the camera wasn't pointed at his face. He was he was away from the camera, and they wanted to change some words. Sure. And modify some scenes where they wanted his voice to either be more expressive or less expressive. So he came back in the studio, and he reread the lines to picture. So it was like he was re acting, right. you know, and re-speaking the lines. And then, you know, we've done a lot of stuff um, on some really cool projects. You know, everybody's a fan of Stranger Things. You know, Netflix yeah. has been doing a bunch of projects with us. And uh, we did some work for Stranger Things, and that was cool. Very cool. Yeah, so... And that's some- what I'm getting at. I mean, you're talking Netflix TV shows, you're yeah. talking movies, uh, motion, major motion pictures. So it goes well beyond music. Yeah, I mean, in the last year, like, the clients that have brought brought projects in that we hadn't worked with, I mean, some here and there in the past, but, mm-hmm. like, HBO and Showtime and, you know, 20th Century Fox and Netflix, like, these are all big, big brands. Absolutely. You know, and it's great, great for us and, you know, for our portfolio, but it's great work for Cleveland. You know, there's so many things still happening here with movies. Right. That when those guys are in town now, normally they'd shoot a movie and then they'd take all this work back to L.A., right. you know, and now they're, at least we're on their radar where we've never done so much ADR work, right. you know, and on top of that, you know, we're doing political stuff, you know, for some local candidates when they do their campaigns and stuff, okay. whether you, you know, the first thing they do is they ask me, are you Republican or Democrat? And I, <laughs> I press record. Right. You know? <laughs> I'm not here to discuss right. politics. Let's just record it. Right. We're on the other side of the glass. Yeah. So, I mean, we do a little bit of everything in that's terms cool. of like, that's the fun stuff. It's high energy, intense work right. that you got to be on your A game on, right. uh, at all times. And, um, but it's it's fun and it's exciting and it's it's cool to talk to people about. And I love the work. It's different every day. Yeah. And, and one thing looking around here and looking at some of the, uh, modifications we're making over to the building facilities matter when you're starting when you're trying to capture some of that activity Certainly. and so does aesthetics i mean this place has a very cool vibe to it yeah it, it it's it's a music vibe but you can tell that there's other things happening how does that sure. space 
help you expand your services? The new space? The new space, yeah. The new space, uh, currently, we've got two rooms that we basically force everything into. Right. This room works like we're currently in Studio A, so we do music in here, we do ADR in here, we do podcasts in here. Over at the new place, we're designating rooms... Each one of them are capable of doing everything, but we're going to have rooms specifically set up for more so the vibes are geared towards certain things. Like when we're in the podcast room, it's going to be built as a podcast room. You know, everything's always set up like that. It's going to sound right. It's not going to be piecemealed together, you know, an hour before the session. Click and play. Exactly. So I think we're able to customize. I mean, you know what we've been going through. Like, I'm super ADD on, like, lights and ambience and stuff like that. (laughs) And being able to create those certain zones where people are going to be standing, that those elements are important. Right. You know, we're able to designate each one of these studios for those specific tasks. That is... That, that's the most exciting part to me because, yeah. again, I've been looking at this shell of a building and I've done my part to try to make the common areas more, yeah. you know, feasible and more inviting and more, I guess, culturally sane sure. um, and current. I mean, there's that building was built in the late mid-80s. Yeah. So you can you can see a lot of that old history there. But I think what we've done in the immediate has been very impactful. And what happens next, you know, over the course of these next two weeks is really going to put a... A, a polish on it that I can't wait to see. You know, I, I feel like we could do this all day. I don't necessarily want to take up your whole day. Um, I am excited because, as you said, we're a couple of weeks out and then the real heavy part of the transition starts to take place. Mm-hmm. I'm shooting for an August, you know, grand opening or, or welcome event, something of that nature. How realistic do that feel to you? It's realistic. We'll be fully functional by mid-July. Right. So I think it's just it's just sticking our heels in and getting ready for the work, you know, from that point. Right. And um, but August, the beginning of August, will be, you know, it'll be a great time for yeah a big release. Yeah, and you know we've got so many other partners and affiliates that are, you know, excited about this move. You know, from the food industry. Um, local politicians, uh, influencers from all over the place. There's a lot of people you still have yet to meet that I'm kind of setting up some things with. So I'm really, really excited about what we're bringing to Northeast Ohio. And I think me too. mainly because when it's all said and done, that was always our mission. I remember the first time I read your bio, it repeated in multiple stories that one of your main attractions was wanting to help local artists kind of make a name for themselves and get off the ground. And I was always the same way about local businesses. I want you to actually have a foundation to build on. So we were very much in tune with that. We were very much aligned with our desires to help people be better than they are. So this is just kind of the icing on the cake. So again, I'm super excited about this. I don't want to drag it out too much. I do want to have something to talk about in the future. Um, the Lava Room is officially coming to Independence, Ohio. You got it. Grace Corp and or Arthur and Mike Brown are about to make something happen in Northeast Ohio. And, you know, hopefully people are paying attention because I'm thinking five years in the future. You know what I mean? I'm always sure. a few Me steps too. ahead. And I'm, I'm loving the buzz that we're creating now. And once it starts to capture the attention of the masses, 
I think the sky's the limit. So I agree. I appreciate you reaching out to me because if you hadn't, this might not have happened. I don't know that I ever would have called you assuming you come to my <laughs> space, to be honest. No, I think I think it's just the story. And we only have like chapter one right now. Absolutely. But um, it, it's just, it's funny how everything is falling into place. I mean, it's, and you can attest to this, it has been stressful up to this point to try to get all these puzzle pieces fit in the right spots. Yes, sir. But everything is lining up great that all the stuff that I've been wanting to do in terms of like expanding my business over the last 10 years, stuff I thought about that is much easier to execute when you align yourself with the right people. And I think that's where things are really starting to fall now. Yeah, I agree. So like, like working with people that do the exact opposite of what you do so I can focus just on my personal skill set and my right. staff and the business and then having other people that complement that and then together we all move forward. That's it. Yeah. It's coming. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate you inviting Absolutely. me in here. Like I said, uh, I know this is your home, but not for long. I wanted to at least be able to say I've been in the live room <laughs> and I've done something once. So my, my, uh, my opportunities were limited so i'm glad we had this one thanks boost for uh taking a vacation this week <laughs> but uh again I, I really appreciate you i'm looking forward to having your guys over at the building i appreciate everybody for listening in to this episode this is ag's convos and we are ag's convos we gonna show you how the world go